Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 33 to 41. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people lived, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? And what did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still, others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? This is the word of the Lord. Hey, uh, good morning, uh, everybody. I, um, uh, my name is Matthew. I serve as the pastor here at Christ City Church. Really, really excited that you're here. I've, I've met a few folks uh, for whom this is uh, their first time and uh, visiting the city. So really welcome to D.C. Really delighted that you're here. Hope that you enjoy, uh, enjoy the city and I hope that you enjoy uh, your time with us. Um, also want to um, alert you if, you, if you don't know this already, um, uh, Nikki Wiggins, our uh, Kid City director and uh, five faithful uh, saints of the Lord are with our nine to 12 year olds at a retreat uh, on a sheep farm in West Virginia. Um, they, don't how, they don't have cell coverage or internet, so we don't know how they're doing. Or, or if they made it, if they've survived, or, or anything. That's not true. Nikki texted us and sent us a really nice video of them uh, actually singing, and they're having a blast. But anyway, we do want to pray for them uh, um, as they're there. If, if, um, I, I just know that for me, even when I was a, when I was a kiddo growing up, that, that retreats, there was just a, those were just seasons that the Lord really used. There, there were um, events that God really used in developing my faith and uh, making connections with friendships that still have lasted to today. And so that's what we've been praying for, um, for the young people that are there. There's 15 of them. Um, and just praying that God would continue to, to grow them, to, to disciple them and shape them, um, even uh, as they're away this weekend. So let me just pause for a minute and, and uh, pray for our young people. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways that you, uh, that you have been shaping the lives of uh, children in this community of faith. God, and we pray that you would seize upon even this weekend as they left yesterday. They'll be there today. And, come back tomorrow, God, I pray that as they move through their morning, even just now, Lord, that you would be speaking to them. God, that you would be with Nikki as uh, she leads and facilitates their studies, that you would be with Mike and Tommy and Brian and Jess as they uh, minister to uh, and disciple uh, the young people that are a part of our church. God, I pray that you would stir in them um, their hearts, affections, and attraction to Jesus. And God, that they would come back with a, with a better sense of who they are in you and who their identities are in you and what it means to follow you as much as they might understand as young people. And God, I pray that we would welcome them back. And Lord, that we would listen well to the children in our community of faith, that we would listen to their testimonies of what God has done, and that that would encourage our own faith, God. So we're trusting that you're working and look forward to receiving them back and hearing all of the ways that you've been at work in their lives over this weekend. We pray these things in Christ's name. 
Amen. All right, so I want to show you something. I got a couple things here I want to show you. Um, this phone, uh, Lisa and I used to live overseas for a bit, and when, I, when, we, when we moved back from, we were living in Nigeria, when we moved back, I bought this phone. Uh, I bought it in San Rafael, California. So this is, this is like 12 years old now, this phone. This has been fantastic. This was a great phone for me for a long time. Um, I, had a, I downloaded a ringtone on it uh, one, one time in my life. I don't know how, actually how I did it, but I downloaded it, and it was the theme from The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. You guys know this Western, you know, it was like a kind of a cowboy. Yeah, some of you are like, I don't know. It's a really good music, and it was a fantastic ringtone. People were always intimidated when my phone rang. Um, and so, and so and I had this phone for like years and years and years, and then once we moved to Memphis, people were like, like the iPhone came out. They're like, you really, like Watson, what are you doing? Like, you know, new uh, millennia, like you get a new phone. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I should do that, I should do that. And they started telling me like, this is why you should do it. Like this, so, so what, the, what the iPhone, it has like these apps, and I'm like, perfect. What is an app? And it has like maps because what I was doing the whole time is like I would get an email and I would print it out so that when I would go to a meeting which was on my calendar that I also printed out, I'd be able to be, okay, I know what this meeting is about. I would need to drive to that place and so I couldn't drive with this so I had to print out print directions from Google Maps, Yahoo Maps then, and I'm following the deal. And they're like, Watson, this is maddening. Like, I have a file every time I'm going to a meeting or doing one thing or another. They're like, dude, you should get this. And then it's all just like right there. I'm like, that sounds, that sounds amazing. And like, it will make your life, and you can take pictures. Because I had pictures, I took pictures with this thing. And they're like, that's, those are no good. What are you going to do with those? I'm like, well, I just look at them, the same ones <laughs> all the time. Can you share them? I cannot share them. They're just here. They live here. And they're like, no, 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 this thing, it has a camera, and uh, you can take really good pictures, you can share them and send them around, you can post them to, like, Facebook. I'm like, I can't do that here. And so they said, you just need to get this thing. And so then one Christmas, um, the, uh, friends got together, and they just, they gave me, a, like, an Apple card, and they were like, this is what we want you to do with the card. And I kept the card for, like, six months, and, like, when are you, and I would see them every week, and they're like, why, why are you still fooling around with this thing? Like, we gave you this other thing. And so I said, you're right, you're right. So finally I went and got one, got, and then I was introduced into the world of, of iPhones. Now, so that's this one. Um, Justin saw me come in with this one. I said, I got a new phone. He was like, no way. He was, he was nervous for me. Um, so, then I, so now I got this one. I, don't, I couldn't find the, the very first iPhone that I got, uh, but this is the one that I have now. I have a case around it because um, you, if you drop it, you don't want it to break. Now, I've got a case around it, but, but the front is cracked because that's the part that the case doesn't cover. <laughs> but that's the part that breaks. And I could blame this on my children, but the truth of it is I flop it around and sat on it and, you know, other things. Um, and it, it, so the, the uh, and it's great. It's been really helpful at different points. Um, but at this point, so I was kind of trying to be on the cheap. So this one is 16 gigs, um, which is apparently really small. So I have like three apps um, that, 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 that are on here. I can take 12 pictures. That's all I got. Like, so when I'm downloading podcasts, like I run out of space, so I gotta like delete like every one because it won't hold anything. I have like 12 songs on here as well that I listen to just sort of the same rotation. I do have maps on here, but they're terrible. I could pull it up right now and it'd be like, Watson, you are in the Anacostia River. And it's, I'd be like, that's close. But not gonna help me trying to get from where I'm trying to get to. Like it's just it's sort of other things. There's other spots, the 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 Calendar does work. It helps me know where I've got to go. The emails are fine and this, that, and the other. But the thing is, in some ways, it's like it has met my expectations, but in other ways, it's just it doesn't satisfy. And the thing is, my friends, also known as the Christ City Church staff, they're on me about getting a new phone. 
And like you should get a new one because it's got apps. Yours is too small. You need these other ones. And the camera, it does have a camera. Because I've dropped it so many times, this camera doesn't focus, so they're only blurry. <laughs> Which means whenever I have to submit an expense report, I'm supposed to take a picture of my receipts, which are really too fuzzy. So really what I have to do now is take a selfie <laughs> of the receipts because this camera works better than this one. So all of my receipts are like this. <laughs> And so every time Drea is like, oh my God, are you like 110 years old? Like, why do you still have this thing and they're on me? And the truth of it is, at some point, I'll probably get a new one. <laughs> but it's not going to satisfy me either. Like, there'll be some things, like the cameras might work for a bit until I flop it on the ground. But, but it's just not going to, like, there's going to be expectations and then there's going to be sort of reality and there's going to be a gap between the two of them and... And it'll satisfy in some ways, but it won't in others. The passage that we'll look at, it's, it's a passage in which Jesus is navigating expectations and satisfaction. There are these ongoing expectations about who he should be. There's expectations in this passage that we'll look at of, of the Pharisees about what the Messiah is to do, who he's to be, where he's to even come from. There's expectations from the crowd that's there that knows that have begun to hear uh, uh, stories of Jesus and hear about his reputation and word is beginning to pass, kind of word of mouth around. And then there's his own sense of, of, of personhood and Jesus saying, this is, this is actually who I am. And there's ways that I will meet your expectations and that I will satisfy, but I'm not going to do it on your terms. I will do it in ways that you don't expect, but certainly ways that you need. And that's where we end up here. Uh, over the uh, past couple of weeks and as we look forward over the next several, we will walk through uh, five chapters of John. We started a series in John earlier this year and we'll take 50 weeks uh, by the time it's all said and done to meander our way through this gospel. We'll finish up at Easter of next year. Between now and then, we'll cover a few chapters and then we'll take a pause um, during Christmas time and Advent. And the passage that we look at um, here, what we're trying to uh, navigate is um, what it means for us to follow Jesus, because John's gospel is a continual invitation to us. Um, he has this cadence and this theme throughout the gospel, both in what we've seen previously as we've looked at it, and then we'll certainly see it over the upcoming weeks. And what John's central theme, what, he's, what he's, the entire book is about, is uh, this invitation for us to believe and to have life. That ever and over and always that what John is continuing to come back to is this invitation to those that read his gospel to say, listen, believe in Jesus because in him you will find life. What we find in chapter 7 um, is that Jesus attends a, a festival. It's a festival of, it's called the Festival of Tabernacles. And this was one of three um, Jerusalem pilgrimages that Jews were supposed to take. One of the others uh, you might be a bit more familiar with is the festival of Passover. It's where the uh, Jews from around uh, the world would descend on Jerusalem to celebrate the day when um, the angel of death passed over the Jewish households when they were enslaved in Egypt. The other is uh, the celebration of what we would call in English uh, Pentecost. This is a celebration of when God gave the Torah, when he gave the law to the people of God. And so they would, again, they would all descend and ascend onto Jerusalem so that they could celebrate the giving of the Torah. And then the third one is the, is the festival or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was when they had left, this was a celebration of when they left Egypt and they were walking through the wilderness and they would live in, in 
tents or tabernacles, and they would make these wooden structures. Even today in parts of Jerusalem and even in parts of the U.S., um, on patios and rooftop decks that Jews around the world, they'll actually build stick structures to remind themselves of the, of the seasons when God led them through the wilderness. And so this was the festival that Jesus um, finds himself in. And what we see in chapter 7, there's this sort of back and forth. It can be a bit clunky to read it, but it's a back and forth, a, a, a series of conversations between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. And there's also commentary sort of from the peanut gallery that is the crowds around. And it's, it's a tense conversations of back and forth. It's, it's confrontational. It's, um, uh, there's, there's anger. There's a, a bit of rage on some that are there. But the main thrust of what Jesus is trying to teach and to communicate in these conversations that he has with the Jewish leaders is that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the rescuer. And what he's doing is he's sort of, he, as he's having these conversations, he's dropping these sort of breadcrumbs in buckets for them to see that he is the one in whom life is found. And each time as he says this, the anger of the religious leaders, it continues to grow. Every time he comes with them and says, this is who I am, this is who sent me, this is where my teaching comes from, their anger just swells because what he is saying is, I'm the one that you've been anticipating. And they're angry. They're angry because of who Jesus is saying that he is. He's saying, I'm God's son. But they're also angry because they know, they know that God is going to send a rescuer for them. They know that he's coming. But the way that they imagine that happening, it certainly isn't through someone like Jesus. They can't imagine being satisfied with God's salvation plan if it comes through this man. And so they're angry. They're, they're noticing a gap between who Jesus is saying he is, the expectations and the reality. And so let's look through this passage and see what we notice. Um, we'll look back in uh, John 7. I'm beginning in verse 1. So this, uh, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee, and he did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see your, the works that you do. No one wants to become a public figure, um, acts in secret. And since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Um, the brothers that he's with that are around Jesus, they know that there's chatter around him. They've, uh, you know, they've sort of picked up on the, the gossip train and they understand what's being said about him and who he is. And he know, they know that Jesus has performed some of these miracles and that people are beginning to follow him. And so the brothers are saying, look, if you're going to gain fame, if you're going to hit the big time, then you need to go to a big time city. And here's a festival that's here. It's like, you know, 8th Street Festival volunteer, like, you know, like they're saying, like this thing is happening and uh, you should go there. You should go and like show your stuff, do your thing, like feed somebody, walk on water or do or do something there. You should you should go and do that. And the temptation that they're that they're presenting to their brother is to be famous. This isn't actually the first time Jesus has been tempted to be famous. He was tempted in the desert. In Matthew four, we see that the devil uh, took him, took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you're the Son of God, then throw yourself down, for it's written, He will give His angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. 
What's interesting is that what the brothers are saying to Jesus and the location of their own temptation of Jesus is the same location of the devil's temptation of Jesus. It's, it's in Jerusalem. It's, it's the center of uh, Jewish life and faith. The, the heart and soul of, of the Jewish nation, the, the Jewish people. It's, it's the place where they were all ascending for this festival. It's the same place that uh, Jesus would look out over later and he would weep when he would say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed to gather you t- together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. And Satan whispers both in the desert and now through his brothers, Listen, Jesus, the truth of it is, you're not getting anywhere. You're like 30 years old, supposed to start a movement, like who's with you? Like, you don't, you should just make a splash. You don't have any acclaim. You don't have any audience. And so in the desert, when he tempted him, he said, jump, jump off from here and the angels will catch you and it will be miraculous and you will be famous. And then you can do whatever you want. And the brothers are saying the same thing. Listen, why don't we go to Jerusalem? Let's ascend to the hill of the Lord and you can do something spectacular. And then all of your disciples will know how awesome you are. And perhaps the thought begins to cross Jesus' mind that maybe if he jumps, or maybe if he does go with his brothers, that maybe Jerusalem would be willing. That maybe they would repent and maybe they would turn towards the God who loves them. And the brothers here on the eve of the Festival of Tabernacle and the Satan in the wilderness, they're both telling Jesus to, to, to execute a publicity stunt. But not just like anywhere, but in the, in the center of their universe. They want to advance the kingdom of heaven through, through the spectacular. It's a temptation for Jesus to, to shake off this low-grade temptation that he has of a baby and a manger and a teenage mom, out-of-the-way village, backwater province, insignificant nation. Why don't you just be famous and spectacular? Make a splash now. Uh, you know, we're tempted towards fame, too. I, I see it in me. I mean, I, I want you to like me. I, I want to um, say, like, witty stuff on Twitter. I want to write things that make people's hearts soar. I, I, I want to be famous. I want folks to know what we're doing here, even in this room. That, that the temptation is there for me, too. Um, I was, uh, I, I've kind of been, <laughs> because I do have these problems with this phone, I, I've been threatening to actually go back to this one. And I, to, I told uh, Nathan, my son, this um, not too long ago. I was like, Nathan, I'm just, I'm just forget this thing. I'm just going to go back. I know how to use this. I still got some space, you know, like I can do it. <laughs> he like grabs my shoulders and he makes me face him. He goes, Dad, you can't do that. I said, why? I said, why not? He goes, you have 700 Instagram followers. You can't let them down. <laughs> Two things crossed my mind. I was like, I got 700. It's amazing. And then I'm like, who, like, who are they? Am I letting them down? Like it was, like it came up for me. Because I want to be, I want to be, and I want to be famous. And, and the thing is, I don't want to just be famous, but like that look in my son's eye. We took a selfie together. When we were in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. We took a selfie together. We posted it on Instagram. I tagged him. And then I sent him the picture because I could do it. I didn't take the picture. Someone else took it, so it was a clear picture. They sent it to me. I texted it to them because my phone is janky. I sent it to him. He posted it. And he comes to me. He's like, Dad, between the two of us, we have 150 likes of our picture. 
I want to be famous in my son's eyes. We're all tempted towards fame. It's, it stirs up in me. It stirs up in me too. The thing is that Jesus doesn't look to wow people. He looks to save them. He doesn't hope to dazzle the world, but he wants to redeem it. And just as he refused to jump off the temple as a shortcut to advancing his mission, he doesn't go into Jerusalem on the Feast of Tabernacles so that he can impress his followers. Jesus trusts God and God's ways. And Jesus is famous. But he just wasn't famous in the ways that they expected. Verse 5 one of, um, one of the verses that just absolutely guts me. For even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Even his own brothers didn't believe in him. To not be believed, it can be a, a hollow feeling. And to not be believed in, not just believed, but believed in, it's good for us to remember a passage that um, Justin preached on last week in chapter 6. This comes right after, um, in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned his back on him and no longer followed him. And then Jesus, as soon as those uh, disciples abandon him, he looks at them and says, you don't want to leave me too, do you? So at this point, Jesus has been experiencing a lot of abandonment and disbelief, and it's coming from folks that are the closest to him. There's a, I can't help but think that there's an ache that stirs in Jesus' heart at this point. Um, when uh, I, was a, I, was a decent, um, I was a decent student in school throughout, there were a couple of subjects that were really, really challenging for me. Uh, and one of them was science. I was, I don't know, I just, it always eluded me. I wasn't, I wasn't the best at it. And I remember um, in eighth grade, I was in uh, science class. I don't remember the teacher's name, but I remember where I was. I remember so much about um, that science uh, classroom. And um, the teacher asked a question, and I wanted to answer it. And so I raised my hand. And I remember the teacher saying to me, I don't think you're qualified to answer that question. She called another student. And I just remember like, oh my gosh. And like it hit me of what it felt like to not be believed in. So much so that now I'm standing in front of you. I'm 43 years old now. I'm standing in front of you telling you a story of something that happened to me 30 years ago that still hurts. To not be believed in by those that are closest to you. That Jesus was, he was, he was abandoned. Jesus is having to experience the disappointment and the, and the disorientation of being abandoned and not believed in. One commentator actually noted, he said that um, John didn't actually need to include this, um, this fact that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. It actually doesn't move the story forward in, in one way or another. The, commentary, the commentator, he wrote, he said, but perhaps um, John includes it as an encouragement to the readers in their own disbelief of them being so close to Jesus but still wrestling with disbelief themselves. And, and my response actually would be, well, maybe. Or maybe it's so that we can identify with Jesus and our own feelings of being let down, of being left alone and not believed in. Because Jesus took on all the pain of disbelief that we can, by faith, weather the storms of, of disappointment as well. There's a, there's a disorientation that happens when you are not believed in. 
and friends, if you haven't experienced it already, at some point you will be let down by folks that you love and care about, and it will be disorienting. Um, I, I, uh, I'm a, um, some of you know I'm a boxing fan, and um, grew up um, with my dad taking me to gyms and, and other things. Moms would never let me box myself, so you know, she said my face was too pretty, so she wouldn't let me do it. Um, <laughs> but we would go, and um, there's a, there's a, a, a training exercise that boxers will do where they'll put a strap or they'll wear a ball cap backwards and they'll tie a string and they'll tie, I should have brought one, they, they dry, tie a st- string and then like a tennis ball in front of them and they'll, and they'll punch the tennis ball and keep it up in the air. One of the things that they'll do is that they'll look up and they'll spin around, they'll spin around, they'll spin around until they're dizzy and then when they come back together they'll start throwing jabs to try and get the ball back. And what they're trying to anticipate is what it's like when they get hit and knocked down, and they're disoriented. How do you get back up and focus and keep throwing jabs? Because they're anticipating there's going to be a moment where something's going to come at me that I don't see and I don't expect, but let me train and let me discipline so that when that happens, I can get up and keep going with the jab. What I see in Jesus when I see that people have left and abandoned him and expect and anticipate the disorientation of emotion that they may be, I'm able to say, he's my trainer. He's the one that indwells in me. And so that when I'm disoriented, I know that the one that is in me is greater than that that's in the world. And so that in him, I can focus and I can keep going. Jesus was, he was abandoned. Verse 8, I'll keep the story going. Jesus says, uh, you go to the festival. He says this to the brothers. You go to the festival. I'm not going uh, to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. Um, When they hear this, there's a lot of commentary around what he's actually saying. My time has not come. Like, he knows that that there's anger and that there could potentially be death awaiting him, but that he knows that it's not his time to die is what he's saying. The brothers anticipated like him saying, I'm not ready. I, you know, I got stuff to do. So keep that in mind as we go through. You go to the festival. I'm not going, uh, I, I'm not going up to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he uh, said that, he stayed in Galilee, verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Not the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? We had, uh, this is actually quite a, a humorous um, spot because um, Jesus, there's a way to read this that looks like Jesus is behaving like some of y'all when y'all get an Evite. Um, somebody invites you, it's like, I got to see what my options are, you know, like, like Jesus is clicking maybe uh, on the Festival of Tabernacles. It's, a fest, it's one of the three pilgrimages. He has to go. Like there's, there's a bit of an obligation for him to go, particularly as, as a rabbi. So he's like, sends, his, sends the brothers on ahead, and then he follows them um, afterwards. And then continue on, verse 11. Um, uh, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. This becomes, a, at this point in the passage, there's a series of, of, um, of considerations that the crowd begins to have around who is, around who is Jesus. 
and you begin to see some of the, um, some of the identities that Jesus is, is battling or combating about who he is. Some of them, they're saying that, he is, that, he's, a good, that he's a good man, that he's, they are thinking back of uh, times where he might have healed someone or, or he's fed the 5,000 or other things that he's taught or the ways that he's comforted those that have been disquieted. And they're saying, no, he's actually quite a good man. Verse 12, others will say, no, he's, he's not. He deceives people. He's a con man. The language that's used there is that he is one who actually leads astray the multitude, not just like an individual, but he's leading away whole factions of people. It was a serious charge in the day. It was actually applied um, within Jewish law where those that had, this, uh, uh, that had this accusation, they could be levied with a charge of apostasy and they could even be criminally charged and be imprisoned or killed. A few verses later, Jesus says, listen, I know that you guys are going to kill me. And the crowd is like, who are you talking about? Because he knows the hearts of the leaders that are there. And because of this, they say, you're, you're demon-possessed. You're, you're, you're delusional. You, you're not thinking straight. So this becomes yet another identity that uh, is thrust upon Jesus. Some say he's good. Some say he's a con man. Some say he's demon-possessed. He's confusing the crowd. At other points in the passage, we'll see that they say, no, Jesus is he's, he's learned. He's wise. He, uh, he knows things. How, and how does he know these things? Verse 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. And the Jews there, they were amazed and they asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? You, you can hear a bit of the, the curiosity or elitism in that. This expectation of where teachers come from and what they look like and who they are. And Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. I have a friend of mine who has been teaching me quite a lot about what it means to see teaching from unexpected places. My friend, his name is Daniel. Some of you may know Daniel. He's, he comes to Christ City. He lives in Memphis, but he comes. He's attending a seminary uh, in the D.C. area. Daniel has cerebral palsy. He's been making his way through a master's program in quite a challenging way. And at every point, what he's having to face is... is um, even the academy or those that are like can, that look at him sort of sideways and can you actually, can you actually do the work that we're asking you to do because of his disability? And at every point, he's meeting their match. He's writing about the intersection between the Civil Rights Act of 1968 and the Americans with Disabilities Act. He's looking at the steps that people with disability climbed up in the heat of the day 20 years ago to secure the Americans with Disabilities Act. And he's writing widely. He's reaching out to other academicians, other folks that have been writing, other people with disabilities. He'll finish his master's degree, and he was just accepted to a doctorate. And I can just hear people say, but doctorates don't come from people with disabilities. Not his, anyway, do they? And as best as we can tell, he may be the first one with cerebral palsy to secure this kind of doctorate if he walks through it. Because God will speak through anyone. And matter of fact, he most often speaks through those that are on the margins, that do have something to say to those of us in the center. God is wild like that. He moves and... And he goes where he pleases and he uses who he pleases. But the purpose of it is so that we might believe in him and have life. 
The invitational nature is always there. It's always on the surface for us. Everything that Jesus is going through. And so we come to this place of realizing that Jesus, that he's all of these things that are being said about him and more, that he is famous, that Jesus, he has been abandoned, that there's aspects of who he is that are disorienting and Jesus can be confusing for us. And there are ways and times where even today where we misunderstand the movements of God, that Jesus can be misunderstood, that Jesus can be controversial. The things that he says, they cause people to leave because they can't handle it. Now, Jesus is wise. But Jesus eventually, he cuts through all of that. He cuts to the chase. He clears the the fog that is developing at this festival. And he finally says, listen, this is who I am. And he's clear about it and he's poetic about it. Verse 37. And on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. The thing is, the, the festival of booths, it was, or the festival of tabernacles, it was actually eight days long. And um, what began to happen at the festival is that there was a pool of Siloam. There was a freshwater pool. It was actually the largest freshwater um, kind of body in the city of Jerusalem. It's where they would get fresh water and do other things. And during the first seven days of the festival of uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles, what uh, the priests would do is that they would, they would go over to the pool of Siloam and they would scoop out water. And they would carry it over to the temple. And they would pour the water around the altar. And they would do this every day, every day, every day. And while they would walk from the pool to the altar, the people would watch the priests make this journey and they would begin to shout. They would sing psalms like Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you His servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord will be praised. And this ritual and its, and its repetition was to stir the imaginations of the Israelites to remember that God is the God who saves. Pool of Siloam, it was, a, it was a, a place of salvation, of salvation remembrance. And so for seven days, they would shuttle water back and forth. They would bring it to the altar as a way to talk about salvation. They would scoop up some more water. The next day, they would rush it over. They would slosh it over. People shouting, praise be the name of God. Remember our salvation. They're shuttling the water. But on the eighth day, they wouldn't do it. The last day, the greatest day of the festival, they didn't shuttle the water anymore. And so after seven days of watching this back and forth, back and forth on the last day of the festival, the festival that was intended to remind the people of God of their journey towards their ultimate liberation across the wilderness. And on the greatest day, Jesus stands at that place and he says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and I will give you living water. He says, you're shuttling this water back and forth trying to remember your salvation, and every day you have to do it. But let me tell you, you don't need to shuttle water anymore. You don't have to go there anymore. You don't have to keep carrying it over here. I've carried it for you. I think that some of us have been shuttling water back and forth from a well of the world to the altar of our souls, and I want to say to you that it will never be enough. You'll have to continue to carry the water. And what Jesus wants to say to you is, you don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to carry it anymore. 
He just says, come to me. Whether it's the, the altar of your career or the altar of your family even or the altar of your hopes and expectations and dreams for your own life or the altar of your reputation, Jesus wants to say, you don't have to carry that water anymore. You can come to me. Lay it down. Because what you'll find in me are streams of living water that can flow from within you. Jesus wants to say to us, come to me. Because while he might not meet our expectations of what coming to him looks like and what that means for our lives, we, he might not meet our expectations, but he will always satisfy. He will meet all of our satisfactions in ways richer than we might imagine. John writes these things so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah that we might have life in his name. Let me pray for us. You, you, you are... You're the living one. You're the one in whom life is found. God, there, there, there can be an exhaustion that takes place. Running, running water from one place to another. Trying to secure our own healing and our own salvation, our own rescue with our own hands. There can be an exhaustion that sets in. There can be an anxiety that sets in, God, because we always wonder, do we have enough water? What if I drop some along the way? Is it enough? Is it clean enough? Is it the right kind? And maybe I'm strong now, but there may come a day where I'm, where I'm weak. Something that I don't see or don't expect it just comes crashing down on me and it disorients me, knocks me down. Will I be able to carry water then? God, I pray that, in, that even in this moment that I would hear you saying, come to me. You don't got to carry it anymore, Watson. I pray that my friends in this room, that they would hear you saying, come to me. You don't got to carry it anymore. And I pray that we would experience you even now in this moment, the life that you extend and offer to us, God. And I pray this over my friends. I pray this over myself. In Christ's name, amen. can't do it on your own, friends. Wasn't meant to.